they were clogging up the middle aisle. So, uh, well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you chose to be here this morning for Bible class. So last week my flipper didn't work. I got home and everything worked just fine. Hey, all right. It's a little bit blurry. We'll go over our memory verse first. Uh, John 10 and verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay, let's all say that together. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life. This week's lesson is going to be about commitment. If you still have your handout, commitment is the, it's the goal line. It's, the, uh, it's your end of the field, and so you're coming out of your end zone, and so you're going over uh, into regular territory, and the first thing that we need to do is commit. Uh, Lou Holt said, no one has ever drowned in their own sweat. I, I never was a big Lou Holtz fan, but uh, I bet I bet some people dehydrated and uh, died from uh, being out of sweat. So, uh, and 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 I suspect he was one of the old school coaches that uh, he he probably believed in few water breaks uh, like we did when we were growing up. They uh, they didn't figure out that Gatorade was a good thing until maybe a little bit later. So, as we talked about last week, no one ever won a game from the bleachers or the sideline, his own end zone. Um, The Christian life is not a life for spectators. That's what we're talking about there. If you're in the bleachers, you're a spectator. If you're on the sideline, you're not in the game. Or if you never get out of your own end zone, then you're not pressing forward. The Christian life is the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Will you stand it up and be counted or slink into the shadows of conformity? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about this in our, in our Wednesday night class that Brother Robert uh, began this, this past week. Um, the renewing of our mind, to be transformed. That word again, transformed. Uh, think, of, think of the butterfly and the metamorphosis that the caterpillar uh, metamorph. Mm. What's the word, Ray? Metamorphize? Whatever. When, when he becomes the, from the caterpillar to the, uh, to the butterfly. So he, he's, it's a transformation. Will you take your place on the field? Declare that your time on earth will count. You know, 
We can spend a lot of time in, the, in various things uh, in this world. We can, we can consume our time with all kinds of things in this world. Are we spending our time wisely? Be ready to reveal God to a world that is living in darkness. The world is so very lost in darkness, in sin. It's up to us to show them the way. If not us, then who? Do not back down to adversity or temptation. I don't suppose it's going to get any easier than it is today. When we commit, we're going to get bombarded with all kinds of distractions. Uh, Satan is going to do everything that he can do to distract us with seemingly good things, maybe sometimes, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it could be good things uh, that take pre precedence over the things that are truly important. Um, be careful with our time. We're going to have a whole lesson on stewardship. Uh, and that's not only going to talk about money, but specifically your time. I challenge you to take your place on the field. Come what may, honor the one who made you for holiness and for heaven. What is a commitment? What is a commitment? To make a commitment is to obligate yourself. You agree to do something. You undertake what you promised you were going to do. You gave your word. You're going to see it through. The word commitment implies a guarantee. It's a pledge backed by your honor, your word. It used to mean something when people uh, were going to do a business deal. And, and, and so often, uh, I watched it as, as I was a kid growing up. My dad would just shake a hand. He'd shake a hand to a banker. And that banker knew that it was a done deal. Sure, there was paperwork to follow to, to, to do all the legalities. But a handshake to my dad was a contract. It was a commitment uh, that was not going to be broken. What are some common commitments that you can think of? What's a, what's a very common commitment? Marriage. Any other common commitments that you can think of? Parenting. Don't have them unless you're committed to raising them in a godly way. Baptism is another commitment. Common commitments. <laughs> Absolutely. Paying the bills. You got to do that. Here, here are a few that I listed. School, military, jobs. I would, I would uh, say jobs and loan. That's, that's paying the bills. But, but if you're not, if you, uh, if you don't show up to work, uh, then you're not very committed, and I bet that your boss is not going to be very committed to uh, to giving you a paycheck at the end of the week either. So, some common commitments that we have today: Christian commitments. Let's look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22. 
And then we're going to look at John 14 and verse 15. Our first commitment as a Christian is to love Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. And John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John, John uh, Corinthians 16, 22 can't be any more plain. Love Jesus or be accursed. Separated eternally from God in heaven. It's as simple as that. Our next commitment as Christians is to follow Jesus. Matthew 16 and verse 24. And then Matthew 19 and verse 21. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, complete. This word literally means complete here. If you want to be complete, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you come and follow me. And we know, sadly, what this young man did. He went away sorrowful because the Bible says he had much possession. So we're going to love Jesus as a Christian. We're going to follow Jesus as a Christian. And we're going to please Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one that enlisted him. Our aim is to please Jesus with our life, with our actions, with the everyday things that we do. So why, why do we need to keep our commitments? What's the toughest commitment that you've ever had to that you've ever made and tried to keep or have already or continued to keep? What's the toughest commitment? Maybe wish we wouldn't say marriage there, but <laughs> amen and amen. He said parenting certainly comes to mind when uh, if you if you've ever wanted not you, Haley, not you, you were the good child. But uh, if, if you've ever wanted to wring your child's neck for something they did or something they didn't do, that commitment of raising uh, godly children is a very, uh, it's a very tough commitment for us as parents and for us as grandparents that, that, that uh, try to help in, in the ways that we can. Um, the toughest commitment, just think about in your mind the toughest commitment that you've ever tried to keep oh so that reminds me of a, of a story um, y'all y'all probably heard y'all probably heard this story again and again uh, throughout the years um, I, I don't I don't really recall now whether it was the man or the woman but young couple they got married. And 
just very, very shortly after the marriage, uh, he has a horrible accident and basically is, is, uh, is an invalid for the rest of his life. And he lives for many, many years. And her daily routine was to get up, get him ready, get him dressed, get him clothed and bathed and fed. And then she would go out and work all day long, come back home, had a caregiver was at the home, and she would come back home and take care of him, uh, feed him again, make sure that he was good, put him to bed, and get up and do that every day for 20-something years. That is commitment. You know, we can, we can do a great thing um, in, in our lives. We can, we, can, we can have a heroic moment and do a wonderful, great thing. Uh, and that's great. That is good. But the daily keep on keeping on that people do in their Christian life, in their marriage life, in their family life, that is truly what commitment is. When you're the only person that's holding yourself accountable and you get up and you do the thing, whatever that thing is, every single day, that's what true commitment is. When we hear when we hear the phrase, so why keep our commitments? It hurts others uh, when I break my commitment. Maybe more importantly, it hurts me when I break my commitments. I might gain momentary relief, but I, I lose my character and my credibility. So commitment summons you to grow. But compromise shrivels your soul. When you hear the phrase lack of commitment, is what follows that statement going to be positive or negative? When you hear the phrase lack of commitment, is that a positive thought or a negative thought? Yeah, it's not a trick question. It's a negative thought. Uh, a form of untrustworthiness the trait of lacking a sense of responsibility, not feeling accountable for your actions or your lack of actions. I'm afraid that a lack of commitment from people in general may be the greatest weakness for just about any aspect of your lives. We, we may have a whole generation uh, that's coming up right now that's just, just not very committed. Uh, they can either take it or leave it. Um, and where did they get that from? Usually what one generation is doing now, the generation before them were, were pretty lackadaisical. Um, before, they, before one generation, what's the saying, what, what one generation accepts or tolerates, what one generation tolerates, the next generation is going to embrace full heart. A lack of commitment at school, our jobs, and our marriages, in our friend relationships, and yes, especially within the church, is destructive. It will fester like a cancer if not dealt with quickly and correctly. Let's be committed. The abundant life. So it's not wrong to abandon mistaken beliefs, or self-defeating behaviors, uh, things that are going to be destructive in our lives. 
it's not wrong to say, okay, I'm not going to keep that commitment. Uh, think about what Jesus' word said in, in Matthew 10 and 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There may be some in here today that have left the religion of their mother and father because they realize their beliefs were not in line with what the New Testament teaches. Those are some commitments that we would abandon for our own good. If you find something in Scripture that is opposed to what you're doing in your life, then are you willing to change? Are you willing to put away that old commitment and take up the new commitment that Christ has called us to? Think about a job that you were in, and they might have been doing something immoral at that job. Uh, my nephew was in a job, and, and he was... He was in charge of, of the computers and, and, and the accounting parts. Uh, so he saw the accounting parts. He saw that they were doing something that he didn't feel was appropriate. They were cooking the books to some degree. And so he went to his boss and said, this is what I see. I don't know if I'm wrong or not. Maybe I don't understand it. And he, he felt like it was uh, good that they just part ways. Um, so ultimately, that's what he did. Uh, he left a good job because he couldn't, he, he couldn't conscientiously uh, stay in that job knowing what he knew. So those are some, some commitments that we, we need to break. Holding stubbornly to something that diminishes you is not honor. That's just prideful. It's one thing to keep a difficult commitment. It's another thing altogether to keep a destructive one. So walking away from our commitment to Jesus is never the right choice. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. If it made you sick the first time, then it's probably going to make you sick again. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. There's not another sacrifice that's coming. If you forsake, if you turn away from the sacrifice of Jesus, His death on the cross, there's not another sacrifice that's coming that can save you from your sin. Hebrews 10 and verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve our souls. Walking away from your commitment to Jesus is never the right choice. God's committed to us. Will we be committed to Him? Hebrews 13 and verse 5. 
Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has told us that he will never leave us or forsake us. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, it's a very personal psalm. And maybe we could read it like this. God is taking care of us and watching over me. I have everything I need now and everything I'm going to need in the future is already assured. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then in Romans 8 and verse 38 and 39, we read this passage last week. Um, His love endures forever and nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, I, 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 I said last week that the only thing not in that list is myself. But, you know, I, I think I was wrong after studying that more and, and thinking about that more this week. God's love is going to be constant and forever. It doesn't matter what I do. God is still going to love me. Now, will his righteous judgment still convict me if I don't turn to him? Yes. But nothing, the passage says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we can choose not to accept that love, but that's a, that's a whole thing altogether, another thing altogether. John 3 and verse 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave us only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God loved the world so much that He sent a part of him to be the sacrifice for all humanity. God's committed to us and Jesus is committed to us. Jesus is our shepherd. Our our memory verse is John 10, 10, but following right there in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he did. And then in Luke 15 and verse 3 through 7. So he told them a parable. What man having a hundred sheep and if he lost one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I don't know how better to explain this than to say, if you had four children and your children have been faithful throughout the years and one child goes away 
falls away, separates himself from the family, separates himself from God, separates himself from those things that are good, would you not do everything in your power to bring that child back? That's this lost sheep. That's the way Jesus feels about me and you. That's the idea that I get from that passage. There's nothing I would not do to try to bring my child back if they're lost. Because that's the commitment we made, right, John? Jesus is our shepherd. He cares about us. And Jesus is our rock. In Matthew 16, verse 18, this is Peter making the good confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. You are Petra, you're rock. And on this rock, I will build my church on that confession that he made that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And then in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, this is talking about the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. And all drank from the same spiritual rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ Jesus. Jesus is our rock. He is our foundation. He is the thing that we build on. The thing that we anchor to in this life that is at best tumultuous. In this life that is best wants to chew us up and spit us out. Jesus is a rock that we can tie on to. Why should I commit to Jesus? Why should I commit to Jesus? He gave up heaven to come down to this earth for me and you. I don't know that we can ever fathom the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake and for my sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He emptied himself for me and for you. Philippians 2 and verse 7 which I don't have in my notes. Philippians 2 and verse 7. Somebody get there before me, you can read it. Philippians 2 and verse 7. He made himself of no (laughs) reputation. He came in the form and the likeness of man. He gave up heaven for you and for me. He emptied himself. He provided an example in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For this, for to you... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his 
steps. He gave up heaven. He emptied himself. He provided an example. He died for me and for you. He defeated death for me and you so that we would not have to live eternally dead. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He defeated death for you. He intercedes for me and for you. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. That's a comforting thought. He always lives to make intercession. As we pray, Jesus is giving our prayers. The Holy Spirit is giving our prayers to God in a way that, that we can't even present. We don't have the words uh, to present um, to God in the way that they can then intercede for us. Why should we commit to Jesus? Because he's committed to us. How do we commit to Jesus? The basics are to hear the word of God and to believe what that word says, to repent of our sins, and to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to know that in our hearts and to confess that on a daily basis to those that are around us, and to be baptized as the converts were in Acts 2 and verse 38 and many, many other passages. This is coming out of our own end zone. This is making that commitment to Jesus. This is where it starts. This is where the real, the real work begins. We know how to commit to Jesus. And the next thing we need to do is commit to love and service to Him. This, this commitment takes priority over family relations. We've already read John 10 and verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Our worldly pursuits, um, do we work to live or live to work? Uh, we can get caught up in our jobs, and our jobs can be so consuming that we neglect some of the other things that are far more important in our lives. Committing to Jesus does not diminish our relationships. It does not diminish our career. In fact, if your marriage and your career, I don't think that they can reach their full potential without committing to Jesus. Yeah, you can be a good person. You can go through your life and be a very good person. But will you ever meet your full potential without a commitment to Jesus? Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I came that you might have life 
and have it abundantly. That's a promise. That is a truth from Jesus himself. All aspects of our lives will be better if we are truly committed to Jesus. John 14 verse 15 said, If if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Brother John. Very good. John, John says the act of baptism, that's an act of submission. And we're, we're, we're submitting our will to Jesus. That reminds me of, of Galatians 2 and verse 20 that we, we talked about last week. I've been crucified with Christ. At that moment of my baptism, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me that's living anymore. It's Christ that's living in me. That moment of submission, that moment of obedience is where we begin our Christian walk. If you feel, yes, sir. That's right. In our analogy, we're not coming out of the end zone. We're not coming out of our own uh, end zone without being baptized, without obeying the gospel, without doing the things that Jesus has required of us. If you feel your faith is holding you back, then there's a problem somewhere. Either you don't understand true happiness true contentment or else you have mistaken ideas about what the Christian life and what Christianity is all about. I'm not going to be a Christian because it's just going to hold me back from so many things that I want to accomplish in this world. That's, that is wrong-headed thinking altogether. The Christian life is the only life that is so fulfilling that is overflowing without measure. Christianity helps me become the best possible me. A better spouse, a better parent, a better boss, a better employee, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better everything. It's not holding you back. If you're not fulfilling the abundant life, then we need to sit back, uh, take a look at ourselves, take 
inventory of what our priorities are and reevaluate and then get things right. Recommit if we need to or commit for the first time. Low commitment really equals no commitment. Uh, the Laodiceans that we read about in Revelation, Jesus, as, as, as he's um, saying those words, John writing them down, he said, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but I don't want any of this in-between, mealy-mouthed, you know, not committed one way or the other. I, it makes me sick. Jesus said that makes him sick if we're not committed. Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. The rich young ruler, he was doing so many things right. But he had one thing that he was lacking. No wonder we read in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, the disciples um, turned the world upside down when they were committed. We, we read in that passage there, I, I think that's uh, when Paul is, uh, when they're uh, coming before a, I don't remember, uh, I know Jason is in the story and they bring him before the group. And he says, he said, these are the men, these are from those men that are talking about Jesus and teaching about Jesus and they have turned the world Upside down. That's true commitment. That's not low commitment. In 2 Corinthians 4 verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We're jars of clay. We're the, we're the package. Uh, when you think about things and how they're packaged today, um, new and improved, uh, all the, all, when you go into the store, which I don't do anymore, but when you go into the store and you see the packaging on items, the packages are appealing. But it's not what the package, it's not what's, it's what's inside the package. It's not the outer part. It's not the look good part. It's what's inside. Those jars of clay, it says, we have the Spirit of God within us. We have the Word of God within us. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to keep it in that jar? Are we going to keep it in that vessel? Or are we going to put it out to the world? 
Jesus is manifested. He's made apparent. He's reflected. He's made evident. We demonstrate Jesus to the world by our lives. What does the world see when it sees you and me? So we need to surrender and not negotiate. Christian living is not an oppressive burden to be born. Christian living is a blessing to be enjoyed. It will frustrate the desires of your flesh, but it will satisfy the longings of your spirit. We may get frustrated from time to time when trying to live the Christian life. Our flesh is weak from time to time, but Christian living will satisfy the soul. Can we be like Paul? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain in Philippians 1 and verse 21. Again, in Galatians 2.20, he said he's been crucified with Christ. The real problem is not too much Jesus. The real problem is too little Jesus. How much Jesus do you want in your life? Some want to make Jesus a part of their lives, they say. That's great, but that's not enough. Some want to make Jesus in their life. That's great too, but that's not enough. Jesus must be our life. Nothing else will matter. Nothing else is more acceptable than Jesus being our life. Restricting His influence in your life restricts joy and it restricts our potential. Two important points to leave you with. Courage involves a cost. Courage involves a commitment. When your back's against the wall, when you're tested by adversity, when you're tempted by the adversary, what will you do? When the moment of decision comes, look deep into your own soul, the soul that was created in the image of God, and filled with His teaching. And you're going to find the answer. How am I going to know that it's the right choice? It's probably not going to be the easiest one. And it surely won't be the most popular one. But it surely will be the most loving one. It's going to be the most caring one, the most constructive one, and the most, the choice that's most like Jesus Christ. Let's think about our commitment this week. Let's think about how we're currently living our life. Let's think about what we need to change to increase our commitment.
if you're already doing well, then there's still more that we can do. There's still people's lives that we can touch. Let's think about our commitment this week. Thank you.